0: Great to see you. Um, we started off with one of our songs that we sang, what is it? Deep cries out to us And some of you probably wondered what that meant. Uh, I'm not preaching on that. But uh, what it actually is, it comes from the Psalms. And it means the more you become deeper in God, the more you cry out for deeper. And so just mention that because it was such an exciting song. And realise that some of you may have wondered... Uh, what the words meant. The other thing I was concerned about is little Chloe came and dedicated and she picked up a little car and I think that the godmother comes from the Isle of Man. Can you correct that and make sure she gets interested in motorbikes and not... (laughs) (laughs) you got Skype and all those sort of things you can do it with. But uh, if she gets off the track and get onto racing cars instead of racing bikes, you can fix that. Uh, That was quite funny, actually. Sitting on the front row, the car was there and she was playing with it. And I thought, that should have been a motorbike, not a car. (laughs) Okay. Um, We had a great holiday. Uh, Went on a cruise to New Zealand and just a few days before that... uh, volcano went up. We were near there and the, um, my old lady's leader, her and her husband met us and he lives not far from there and he actually spent some quite time telling us the danger of that volcano. Um, so having just left there and then it erupting um, sort of impacted us when we heard how dangerous it was and that people would still travel on it. So, uh, hard to know how to pray and seek God on that, but continually to do that. This morning, I'm going to share from the, the great hymn, uh, Hark the Herald Angels. When I prepared this and wrote it out and asked my old PA, could she uh, type it up, and she saw the word hark, she said, Well, my grandmother used to often use that. And whenever we were kids, she'd yell out to us if we were making a lot of noise, hark. And what it actually means, it's an old English word that means stop, listen. Something important is going to be, or just listen. And then the hymn goes, hark the herald angels sing. And uh, we all know the word herald, but here in the context, it means um, that stop, listen, Uh, something is about to happen, there's an announcement is going to be made. And very often you'll see pictures with this uh, carol, you'll see a whole group of angels holding trumpets. And that means that they have an an announcement to be made. Uh, And when a king is going to become in that tradition, uh, there's always a forerunner. And it's interesting that God did that. Here came the true king of this earth was coming to the earth and so God made this great announcement by allowing his angels to come and cry out to the shepherds uh, to stop listen there's going to be a child that's going to be born and it's interesting that uh, the writer of this hymn he goes straight for the reason he doesn't go into the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah or, or the problem that there was going to be no room in the inn or anything like that. He goes that the reason Christ is coming to this earth is that sinners and God can be reconciled, that they've come for peace. The hymn was originally written, and I've said originally because it's had a few changes to it, but just slight changes. But it was written a year after Charles Wesley's conversion. He wrote it as a poem for Christmas Day in 1739 and it's had several small alterations since then. But I just wanna talk about Charles uh, Wesley and John Wesley because I'm gonna just get sidetracked twice. It's not gonna be a long message. And the reason I'm gonna get sidetracked twice is because it has a big bearing onto the last verse. Now, John and Charles Wesley, born in a large family. I won't go into all the details. Their father was a uh, Anglican minister And they went off to Oxford University, Uh, John was the oldest one, Uh, they both did extremely well in university, John actually was a lecturer for some period of the time. And during university, they formed a little group, and mostly there was only a few of them. And they were very uh, dedicated in the way that they prayed, they searched the Scriptures and had studies and uh, times of fasting before God but they always had an emptiness they never had what they really wanted to in God but because of their enthusiastic and the methods that they did very ritualistic uh, people made fun of them and they were called Methodist Uh, as a result it was done sarcastically they were called Methodist because they had a method in what they were doing and they were set it was a set very set the way they they did it. And it's interesting that even though that name was put upon them, later they wore it as a badge of honor. And that's where the name Methodist comes from. And we'll hear more about that later. But anyway, they finished their studies um, and wanted to do mission work. They went off to America, we're talking about 1733, Roughly then, so that's a long time ago. They spent three years and virtually came back as failures. On the way over to America, uh, they met met with the Moravians. Uh, They were a holiness group that originated from Germany. But interesting, the ship got into trouble. And uh, the Moravians just had this wonderful peace and rest in God. And that troubled John and Charles. They went out, when they arrived in America, they continued with their mission work and spent three years there and felt that failures. They came back to England. They came back totally disillusioned, uh, that had enough. But um, Wesley got mixed up. He's the younger one with Whitfield. And as a result of that, he heard the teachings that came from the Lutheran. Revival uh, in Germany and how that to be born again uh, Was through faith and he made a decision to follow the Lord Interesting three days later John made a decision, but John was a little bit different. He went searching for a Moravian leader because in his emptiness He wanted something deeper and he noticed that they had something deeper when he went on the boat Now the thing that I struggle with is here's these guys, they were ordained in the established church. Far as I was concerned, they they appeared to be godly. They had an understanding of God. They preached. In fact, um, during his training, John Wesley delayed some of his training because he went home to help his father in the church. Uh, They had this desire to, to give, to help people, but... It was all... Now, I'm going to quote them, not my interpretation of it. As far as they was concerned, all they had was a religious experience. They had no deep relationship in knowledge of Christ. And interesting that when they made that decision and they learned... Well, first of all, with John, uh, when he was asked uh, by the Moravian leader, are you saved? Are you going to be... Are you going to go to heaven? And John said, well, I think I am because I've worked my butt off in doing this and this and this. And the guy said, that's where you got it wrong because there's nothing that you can do. And it was then that John made a decision to follow Christ, to give his heart to the Lord, to ask God to come in. And he said he was, his heart was strangely warm. There was a total change in these two guys. And they virtually can I say bought England awake, and it went off into America by the time they had died, they had over a hundred thousand followers. They had no desire to break away from the established church. What happened when they were preaching into different churches they were they were told you couldn't preach that, and they were kicked out of the churches. So then they started doing, uh, just preaching in the open air. And that was unheard of back then. Only the crazy guys did that, <laughs> they thought, and got tremendous results. Their whole idea was to preach the gospel to the underprivileged, to the down and down, which didn't fit in the established churches. Took Christianity to the prisons and different places so Chris you and your wife and your team yeah, so, so Greg I mean you would have where's Chris you guys would have been classed as true Methodists and they were continually Methodists because of the they had some really strict policies and but they wore that with a badge of, a badge of honor um, and made fun of my mother's side um, they they gloried a little bit, and because they can trace their uh, heritage right back to this time. My father, with a name like Grady, would be Irish, so I don't want to quite go there. That uh, might be quite different. But John Wesley, uh, with his brother, founded the Methodist Church. And it's interesting that Charles wrote over 6,000 hymns. Only one lady beat him and that was Fanny Crosby and she rode 8,000. She was blind. Just another thought of interest with John, he had, a, he had a modern vehicle ahead of his time. He had an automatic vehicle Now you might say, how could you have that 280 years ago? Uh, when I was in Sunday school in the Methodist uh, Presbyterian Sunday school, I was given a book on John Wesley and I read it uh, and I loved it he had a horse that uh, knew its way home Uh, it was common for him once he came to that relationship with Christ to preach something like four times a day and so he would the horse just trotted along he only had to steer it did his studies on the horse and on the way home never took any notice the horse knew the way home Man, that's better than an automatic car. And (laughs) when he got older, they thought, hey, this is not right. And some people bought him a uh, sulky. And they asked him later, what was it like? He said, it's even better. He said, on the way home, I prepare my next message. And not only do I read now, I can write. And so he was a workaholic, quite interesting. But uh, you can Google all that and read some of his uh, background. But Charles' goal in writing hymns was to teach the poor and teach the, the illiterate sound doctrine. We've got to realise back then that not many people had education. And in his songs that he wrote, the hymns he wrote, the poems he wrote that were later made into hymns, he put Christian doctrine. And in this one heart the herald angels sing, that there's so much doctrine... And we may find it a little hard to understand when we just sing it. But back then, the way they talked, and even though it was written in poetry form, the people would have understood it, what was going on. So let's just go through it quick. quickly. to. Uh, there's no need for me to uh, expound everything because the carol is self-explanatory. So Wesley starts the hymn, as I said, not with Old Testament promises, of Mary searching for accommodation, but he goes straight to the reason Jesus came. In Luke 2, 4, it says, Glory to God in the highest in heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favour rests. Uh, so that's, that's in there. Okay. Then he brings out that Jesus came in humility and he came from Bethlehem. And this was actually promised by the prophet Micah 700 years earlier. And this is what Micah wrote in uh, chapter 5, verse 2 in the book of Micah. The reason I mention this is that all of Wesley's hymns had theology in them. John used to say, that's his brother, the best theology you could ever read was Charles Wesley's hymn book. But this is what Micah 5.2 says, But you, Bethlehem... Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And so it's actually, what he's saying there, Micah, is saying that this person who would come out of Bethlehem and be born, because the um, all the early... Uh, People believe this was a Messianic prophecy, that it was an amazing paradox, because the Messiah would be born, yet already have existed. It, in a sense, it doesn't make sense. Only Jesus could fulfill that. And John 1.1 1, 1 brings it out, that God, Jesus, was in the beginning with God, and he himself was God, and he could fulfill that. Let's just quickly look at the second verse. Then Wesley brings out that Christ, the everlasting God, as I've already covered, late in time has come, offspring of a virgin's womb, God himself veiled in flesh. So here comes God from ancient past, from always, everlasting, ever be. And then he brings out that he's our Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God is with us. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and I will call him Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. God has come down and taken on flesh, and he wants to be with us. He wants to help us. Then the third verse, it says there, there's one part that I want to bring out, heavenly-born Prince of Peace. Charles Wesley would have got that from Isaiah 9:6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting God, and the Prince of Peace. And there are many truths in there that, that Charles has put, that he's got from the word to get across that God has come to reconcile, to bring back back us. The reason I shared about John Wesley's salvation, and I'm going to jump a little bit, because the very last line of Heart the Angel says, born to give them a second birth. One of the things that John and Charles brought out in their ministry was, it's not enough just to be religious. Here are these guys. They're actually ordained in the established church. They know the word in a sense, I was going to say inside out, but they didn't really. But they were trained and all that area. They'd done mission work, but they had no personal relationship with Christ. And the moment they got that personal relationship with Christ, something changed within. They were born again. And that's why he put down, uh, born to give, that Christ came to give them a second birth. And that's what God wants to do to us. It's not enough just to come to church. It's not enough just to be religious. It's not enough just to do all these good works. And I really appreciate what everyone does in this church. And I'm so glad that we're honouring everyone. But the thing that Charles and John got themselves into trouble for was that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. You have to have a personal relationship with Christ. Because then the Holy Spirit comes within you and motivates you and helps you. And you've only got to look at the the change that came to these two great men, and we can see uh, the reality of the gospel. In the third verse, it says, Hail the heaven born Prince of Peace, covered that. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Now, I'm not sure, but just in the past few years, if you, most of your hymn books has this wrong, They have Hail the Son, S-O-N, of righteousness and actually called it a name of Christ. It's not quite right because in the original, and I'm so glad that this one's right. Uh, is it? Where are we? Yeah, Hail the Son of righteousness. That is correct. It comes from Malachi 4.2. And this is what I want to look at. It says, but you, in Malachi 4.2, but you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his race. Why was God called, recur, sorry, referred to as the son of righteousness? What has changed that is some people have thought, oh, um, because Christmas has got some relationship to do with the son, uh, in the sense of the heathen stuff let's change this but no we should go back to what it originally forms and the son of righteousness meant that um, God would come in his glory and his righteousness that would outshine the sun and there are passages elsewhere in the old testament that refers to God as the sun now it's only symbolic but showing the cleanliness the, the the power the glory of God so let's, let's look at what it says. It says, You who revere my name, the Son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And, okay. The correct version is with healing in its wings. And what does that mean? Because... Wesley says in the song, Light and life all he brings, risen with healings in his wings. You've got to understand a little bit of the Hebrew background. Maybe these people did. But when the, the prophecy was made that Jesus would come with healing in his wings, what does that mean? What does that mean? They used to wear uh, the priest back that time, a special gown garment that had uh, tassels at the end and they all had symbolic meaning um, the white spoke of the of the tassel spoke of righteousness I'm going to show it to you in a sec and it represented the power and the authority of the person too who wore it the priestly anointing that was upon them and prophecies had been made that when Jesus, the Messiah, would come, that he would have healing in his wings. It's not literally in that. It's symbolic. It meant the area that he covered, the area that he uh, had authority over, there would be healing. And then the woman with the issue of blood who uh, came to Jesus, who she was an outcast. And she said, if only I can get through this crowd and touch the hem of his garment... I'll be healed. What she was touching was the tassels because. Um, come up and show us. Okay, this is a prayer shawl and.
1: A of the, uh, ones that they wore. So the garment would have been a lot larger, but these are. Every Jewish man wore the tassels to remind them of the Torah, the teachings of God. And this is what the woman wanted to touch—the fringes of his garment.
0: Yeah. And these are the tassels. The white represented the righteousness, the sun, clean, clean. And the blue represented the um, heaven-born. And there was six hundred. And sorry, it also represents the commandments of God. So, it, when he was praying, this man's a, is a Hebrew expert that's why i'm letting him do it (laughs) Um, that when they were praying that they were covered by the commandments of god and the commandments were pure and clean but there was 613 precepts so this as he prayed gone as you're praying and you're holding the
1: tassels it's a lot harder even just not praying just living with the tassels on your garment holding them it's, it gives you some sort of incentive not to sin against God, doesn't it? You're holding the laws of God right there in your hand to remind you this is what it's all about.
0: We don't have to use these to pray, to be effective, but I just wanted to get you across so that you knew how the Hebrew... Thank so you. what were the 613 precepts? <laughs> well,
1: they represent <laughs> they, they the Torah, the f- first five books of the Bible which teach the best ways to live. And And that's what it's called. Well, we we don't go by those so much. We go by the the, the ten, the first ten of uh, what we call the Ten Commandments of God. Or they called it the ten-point marriage contract that God made with his people at Sinai. And that was the contract he made. And what we have in Pentecost was the reenactment of Sinai with the clouds and the Holy Spirit and the fire. Coming down and, and lighting up the church, and starting that.
0: Now, can you put your wings out again? How it I was know. done. So. so Malachi said there would be healing in the coming Messiah's wings. There, thanks. thanks. There's other scriptures. I'll just read um, what it says in M- Matthew 14:35 to 36. People brought all their sick to him. And begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, his wings, and all who touched him were healed. And so the tassels meant when you were holding those, it meant that you were separated under God. It reminded you that the commandments, that you were surrounded by God's law, you were surrounded by God's holiness and commandments. It also represented the authority and power of that person and just getting a little sidetracked a little bit when David was on the run from King Saul uh, he hid with his men in a deep cave and King Saul who was out to kill David came up and uh, wanted to relieve himself and went into the cave but because David and his men were further back and so what David did he crawled up very quietly, and he cut off the corner of his coat. What he did, he cut off one of the tassels, which represented the authority and the priestly authority. And then later David realised what he did. And that's why he was so regretful and so felt down, because he had taken the authority, it wasn't his place. Even though Saul was completely wrong and out of order, it wasn't David's place to cut that authority, and that what it represents. Let's get back to the hymn. When we say that Jesus came, this is what Wesley says. I, I love this last verse. It says, Mild he lays his glory by. Means he put his glory by. And he came born that man may no more die. Yes, I'm gonna die, but not really die because. This soul and spirit is going to live forever because it knows the Lord. Born to raise the son of earth. Born to give them second birth. And if we back up a little bit, it says, Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life, all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. We don't have to touch the corner of his garment. But one thing we need to know that God's glory... God's garment symbolically covers this whole earth because Jesus has come to this earth. And he's, um, can I say, his authority, um, his influence is all over this earth. And all we've got to do is come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we can be both born again, saved, and we can also ask for healing. And this morning... I want us to sing the hymn again and sing it with meaning and understanding and at the same time if we need to make a commitment to the lord that we can do it where we are we can come to the front and there's pastors here that would love to pray for you and if you need healing i want us to realize that wesley more than anyone wanted us to know that jesus came to this earth to heal people and that there's healing in his wings and so we can find healing and both John and Wesley's uh, whole influence was never to bring division in the church but bring the church into an understanding that there is both salvation and healing when we come to God and I just wonder if we can sing that and worship in Jesus name. Thank you.